Good evening, everyone. Let's uh, have a word of prayer tonight. Is a, a very important night. We're going to be dealing with the issue of the Antichrist, according to the Bible. Who is or what does Antichrist represent? And this is one of those subjects that uh, there has been a lot of speculation over and uh, some really off the wall things, but tonight we're going to focus on the Word of God to find our answer. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would please guide our thoughts. Help us, Lord, to be focused on your word. And Lord, most of all, help this study to be very clear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight's message, Antichrist Kingdom. Antichrist Kingdom. Now, let me tell you, I've heard some really, really funny things about Antichrist and who the Antichrist is. Um, I've heard that Ronald Reagan uh, was the Antichrist. Anybody ever heard that? He's got six letters in his first name, six in his middle, and six in his last. And people come up with all kinds of crazy, crazy things uh, to identify who the Antichrist is. We don't want to do that tonight. We don't want to speculate. We want to go directly to the Word of God. And what we're going to do, as we have been doing every night, is we're going to take a look at the controversy from the beginning so that we can get a good idea of who and what the Antichrist is and represents. Notice 1 John 2 and verse 22. The Bible says here, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is what? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. The word Antichrist simply means against or in opposition to Christ. So Antichrist is he who is in opposition or against opposing Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 speaks of the spirit of Antichrist. So not only is there Antichrist, but there is a spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of opposition towards Christ. Now, if you're thinking with me, that's a pretty scary definition of Antichrist because it kind of opens up uh, our understanding of Antichrist a lot, a lot more than people usually think of Antichrist. All right, let's go ahead. Look at 1 John 2, 18 and 19. The Bible says there again, little children, it is the last time, and as we have heard, that Antichrist shall come. There is, a, there is a coming Antichrist. But it says, even now are there what? Many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So when that verse says that there are many Antichrists, what is it saying? There are many people who are in what? opposition or against Jesus Christ. It says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So Paul here or John here rather is saying that Antichrist also symbolizes those who were at one time among us. Who does us represent? It would represent God's people. 
but they went out. In other words, they were once for Christ and now are what? Against or anti-Christ. Not all, but many of them. Now we want to take four, we want to take a look at four marks of heaven's antichrist. Let me just ask you, who, who would heaven's antichrist be? It'd be Satan. He was the first antichrist. Revelation 12, 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Who was the dragon fighting against? He was fighting against Michael, and who did we learn Michael is? Michael is Christ. So here you have one who is opposing or in opposition to Christ. That was Satan. He is the Antichrist of heaven. Now, Antichrist also means anti-sanctuary. Why? Remember in Ezekiel 28:18, speaking of Lucifer or Satan, it said, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquity and by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, when I bring forth the fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Satan began to rebel against the sanctuary. In rebelling against Christ, he also had to rebel against the what, everyone? The sanctuary. So to be anti-Christ also means to be anti-sanctuary. And again, we saw that the sanctuary symbolized God's government. The sanctuary symbolized the very throne of God. Antichrist also means to be anti-law. What was in that sanctuary? The law of God. The self-sacrificing law of love. Again, speaking of Lucifer, it says in Ezekiel 28, 15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until what? Iniquity was found in thee. What is iniquity, everyone? Transgression of the law. So Lucifer, in, in becoming anti-Christ or opposing Christ, he also opposed his sanctuary and he opposed his what? His law. Okay, very good. You'll see here a picture of the sanctuary that God told Moses to build. This sanctuary was a replica of the sanctuary in heaven. You had the, the holy place and the most holy place. Let me use my cheap slider here. Slider here. My, you had the holy place with the furniture, table of shewbread, seven branch candlestick, altar of incense. And then you had the most holy place, which contained the law of God and the presence of God. And this is where Satan rebelled. And this is what he rebelled against, the law of God. Antichrist also means to be anti-kingdom of Christ. The Bible says of Lucifer again in Isaiah 14, 12 and 13. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will do what? Exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, Satan wanted to exalt his throne or his kingdom above who? The stars. Who are the stars of God? They are the angels. 
Satan said, I want to exalt my throne above the angels of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Let me talk for a moment about Satan's deception of holiness. Now that term seems contradictory, a deception of holiness. But think about this. You're in heaven. There is no sin. You're the highest angel in creation is Lucifer. Everybody loves Lucifer. He's a shining, bright, beautiful angel. And then, out of the blue, there arises a controversy between Lucifer and God. It's kind of like having two heroes, and now they've got a controversy or something that has arisen between them. Satan's war was a holy cause, quote-unquote. Now, is that true or false? Was Satan's war a holy cause? No, it wasn't a holy cause, but he, he disguised it or he hid it under the guise of holiness. Remember what the Bible says in Isaiah 14, 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, speaking of Lucifer. I will, what everyone? Be like the most high. Help me out here. What is the most high like? Self-sacrificing. The most high is holy. The most high is kind. The most high is, is all these good things we can think of. And Lucifer was saying in essence, I, I can be like God without doing what? Without submitting to him. Remember, we don't need a law to be holy. That's why the Bible says iniquity was found in him. Holiness without the law of God. Now, there is a story in the book of Numbers chapter 16. We're not going to read that whole story. I just want to show you that this particular story is a glimpse into what took place in heaven. Number 16, there's a man by the name of Korah, and Korah rises up in rebellion against Moses. Moses has led the children of Israel out of captivity. They are now in the wilderness, and this gentleman, Korah, gathers together um, some of the renowned men in Israel. And listen to what they say. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, whom God had appointed to lead them out, and said unto them, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are what? Holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord? How many of you know what happened to Korah after this incident? He was swallowed up by the earth, opened up, and he was swallowed up, and all who stood in rebellion with him. But question, didn't, didn't this seem like a holy cause? Korah is saying, hey, we don't need a leader. We don't need you asserting yourself over us. All these people are already what? Holy. Question, were the people holy? No way. Far from it. Now, Satan in heaven had said the same thing. We don't need a law, God. Laws are for who? For slaves. We are angels. We don't need a law to follow to be holy. And if we're truly free, why, why have you given us a law? So Satan's rebellion was under the disguise of holiness, a good cause. We might call it a holy war. Revelation 12, 4 says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. One third of the angels believed Lucifer's lie. Why? 
because it was under the disguise of what? Of holiness. Lucifer knew that had he come out and said, hey, let's be evil, what would the angels have done? They would have said, no way. We're not going to go there. And so the way that he has to deceive them is by presenting his war under the disguise of holiness. Now, all this is going to be very important for, for us to understand who the, what the Antichrist is or who it is. The angels were deceived by apparent holiness and apparent holy cause. Now, who Satan could not win by deception, he sought to win by what? By force. Revelation 12, 7. The Bible says, and there was what in heaven? War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So those who did not listen to Lucifer's deceptions, those who were not won over by his deception, he sought to win over by what? By force. Alright. Antichrist deception of holiness produced antichrists in heaven. Now question, who would these antichrists in heaven be? The angels that ended up listening to Lucifer themselves became what everyone? Antichrist. Those who are in what? Opposition to Christ. They were in opposition to his what? Sanctuary. They were also in opposition to his law. They were spreading Satan's deceptive philosophy. Did they know they were spreading Satan's deceptive philosophy? No, because they believed that it was what? Truth. And they ended up resorting to force to enforce change. In other words, we're going to force all these angels and force God to bow down to our will. They ended up using force as a, or they ended up resorting to force. These are the four signs, beloved, of the Antichrist, which was in where? Heaven. All right. Remember that we talked about heaven being polarized into two parties. Those who were with Satan and those who were with God. And we remember speaking last night about the rule of the third party found in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 16 to 19, which says, when a controversy arises between two parties, there must be a what? A third party that judges between the two. And because Satan and his angels had uh, brought accusation against God and his angels, there was no what? No third party because everyone had made a decision as to which side they were on. There was no neutral third party. Therefore, the Bible tells us that when the angels were cast out, judgment did not take place. It was reserved. The Bible says the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So these angels were reserved unto punishment, including Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before who, everyone? Kings, that they may behold thee. And we saw again this text was speaking about the fact that Lucifer would be brought before a group of kings that were to do what? Judge him. 
Who were those kings? Lucifer's scratching his head. Well, we know the answer. Who were those kings? Who are those kings supposed to be that God created? Who is that third party that he made in order to judge Satan and the fallen angels? Humanity, God's people. You remember the covenant with Abraham, Genesis 17, 6 and 7. I will make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee. That's Genesis 17, 6 and 7. God says you are the kings that are going to be the jurors who will judge Satan. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 again tell us, but you are a chosen generation, a royal what? priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. God says, you are the royal priesthood who is to judge Lucifer and his angels. Do you not know that the saints shall judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 tell us. We're told in Revelation 24, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and they lived and did what? Reigned with Christ a thousand years. All right. Wake up. Are you ready? Earth's Antichrist. What is the mission of Antichrist on earth? What do you think? It is to see, to deceive. Beloved, it is to exalt his throne above the stars or the jurors or the kingdom of priests of God by deception or force. Do you get that? Antichrist's mission on earth is to destroy the third party. Who is the third party? You and I. It is to destroy those who are supposed to judge him so that he cannot be judged. Satan wants to turn the jurors into what? Antichrist. Now, have you ever thought that you could be an antichrist? Do you know the Bible says, biblically speaking, that you can be antichrist? How can you be antichrist? No desire to follow who? Jesus makes you what? Antichrist. And beloved, there are people out there in the world who, oh, Antichrist, what a terrible, horrible being that must be. Not even realizing that when they themselves refuse to submit to Christ, that the Bible labels them as what? Antichrist. And so Antichrist's mission on earth is to turn the jurors, all who could possibly judge him, into those who are opposing or against Christ. No jurors. No third party, stay in me. Satan cannot be judged. All right. These, beloved, are parallel kingdoms. As Antichrist did in heaven, so Antichrist will do where? On earth. Antichrist will raise up a kingdom that will be against God's what? Sanctuary. That will turn people against God's law. That will be a spiritual kingdom which will win jurors by deception of what? Holiness. In other words, beloved, Antichrist deception on earth is going to be so incredible that when you see it, you might say, no, no way. Why? That's holiness. 
Just like the angels in heaven, when Lucifer was beginning to make his complaints, and they began to hear what Lucifer is sinning, and they thought, no, I know Lucifer. He can't be sinning. He's a good angel. He is holy. In the very same way, beloved, this, the, the, the deception that Satan's going to bring on this world will cause many people to go, no, that couldn't be the Antichrist. That's holiness. Not only that, who the Antichrist cannot win by deception, he's going to win by what? Force and persecution. The enforcement of his own throne. In other words, if he can't deceive you, what's he going to do? He's going to persecute you. All right, we are ready to find out who Antichrist is. How many of you are ready to find out who Antichrist is? You'll remember in Daniel chapter 2, and this is all review that we've gone over previously. Daniel chapter 2, there's described there the image of a man with the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And then a stone is cut out without hands that smites the image on its feet. Now here's a question. What part of this image is the most offensive to God? What part of the image receives that rock that's cut out without hands? The feet. Remember we discussed that the feet represent iron or a part of iron and clay, which we saw represented divided Europe, but there is something about that clay we learned in the Bible that clay, according to Isaiah 64 and verse 8, represents those who profess to have God as their father. Notice verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, thou art, the, art, art our father, we are the what? Clay, and you are the potter. We are the work of thy hand. In other words, this clay, the clay aspect of the feet of Daniel 2 represents a kingdom that would profess to be serving who? God. Clay represents a kingdom of priests. Just like the New Testament calls us a kingdom of priests, this clay kingdom would represent a supposed spiritual kingdom, but the iron that it was mingled with represented the kingdoms of the world. So what do you have happening here? You have a mixture of what? Spirituality or church and state. Now, what's interesting about this, beloved, is we're hearing today a lot of talk about church and what? Church and state. And the Bible tells us that it's in this time that God comes back again. In other words, there is something very offensive to God about the mingling of church and state. Why do you think? Who should the church be married to? Christ. Not who? Not the state. The church should never look to a state to enforce her laws or her decrees or her form of worship. She should look to the Holy Spirit to bring what? Conviction. Amen? So we've got here this mingling of church and state as found in Daniel chapter 2. Myri Clay, the Bible says that he brought me up out of, also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. The miry clay symbolizes clay that has no what? Foundation. So this spiritual kingdom would be a kingdom without any biblical foundation. 
This kingdom of miry clay and iron represents one, a professed spiritual kingdom, two, a professed spiritual kingdom that has no foundation, that is built upon sand, and three, a professed spiritual kingdom that would unite with the kings of the earth. Priest kings are church states. I hope you are beginning to think with me. Revelation 17, 1 and 2 describes the same power under a different under different symbols. Revelation 17, 1 and 2. The Bible says there, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great who? The great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. In the Bible, a woman is used to represent church, the church or the people of God. Jeremiah 6.2 says, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate what? Woman. And as Ephesians 5.25 tells us, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in the Bible, a woman is symbolic of a what? Of a church. So this mystery woman in Revelation 17 that commits fornication with the kings of the earth represents what, everyone? A what? A church. Now that ought to just shock you because you're going, wait a minute, how can a church represent Antichrist? Antichrist is supposed to be openly and apparently what? Evil. But beloved, we're going to see that Antichrist hides behind the skies of holiness and we've just discovered that he hides behind a church. Here you have a counterfeit kingdom of priests and kings on the earth. Here is a church that is committing fornication with who? With who? The kings of the earth. Revelation 21.2 says here, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a what? Bride adorned for her husband. But in Revelation 17.8, it tells us that this woman, this harlot, which you saw, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So you've got a counterfeit church representing a counterfeit city of God. The great whore represents a kingdom of priests and the kings of the earth represents a king-priest power. Church and what everyone? State. This is going to be very important for our Mark of the Beast study tomorrow night. Revelation 17, 3 and 4 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit up on a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This woman is winning people by the deception of holiness or counterfeit gospel. Notice that this woman was decked with what? Gold and all kinds of precious stones. Matthew 13, 45, 46 tells us the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking what? Seeking goodly pearls 
who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, the, the gold and merchandise that this harlot woman is wearing, wearing represents a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit message of the kingdom of heaven. It also goes on to show us that who she could not deceive, she would persecute. Revelation 17, 5 and 6. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, what? Drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now I want you to put this together. Here is a church that is drunk with the what? Blood of the saints. Now does that sound strange to you? How can a church that professes to be following Jesus be drunk with the blood and the martyrs of saints? Let's go ahead and look at Revelation, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7. We're going to come to another symbol that describes who Antichrist is. In Daniel 7, we'll remember that it is a parallel of Daniel chapter 2. So the head of gold, which was Babylon, symbolized the lion in Daniel 7. The chestnut of silver symbolized the bear of Daniel 7. The belly and thighs of brass symbolized the four-headed leopard of Daniel 7. The legs of iron symbolized the dragon of Daniel 7. And the toes of iron and clay symbolized the ten horns on the head of the dragon. And then finally, you have this little horn that is being described that is the counterpart of the clay of Daniel chapter 2. So the clay of Daniel 2 is the same as the what everyone? The little horn of Daniel 7. This is a spiritual kingdom or a church having military and political might. That's who we're looking for in the Antichrist. It's going to arise after the fall of the Roman Empire in Europe. In other words, those ten horns symbolized the ten divisions of Europe or fallen Rome. So this church, spiritual kingdom, having military power, would arise sometime after the fall of the Roman Empire and within Europe. This power would also have worldwide influence. Why do we say that? It has power over the kings of the earth. But you remember in Daniel chapter 2 that the clay mingles with the ten what? With the ten toes. All the kingdoms of Europe. All the kings of Europe. So this is a church that is going to be controlling the kings of the earth. And finally, beloved, we're looking for a power that would do what? Persecute the saints of God. In Daniel chapter 7, the Bible tells us that this little horn would uproot three of the ten horns. Let me just show you very quickly who these ten horns were. Anglo-Saxons, the Franks, the Alamani, the Lombards. These are the nations that came out of the Roman Empire. The Ostrogoths, the Burgundians, the Vandals, Suevi, the Heruli. The little horn, the Bible says in 724... Bottom part of that verse here, he shall subdue three kings. He was to uproot three of the ten horns. And beloved, the papacy. How many of you know what I mean when I say the papacy? 
The Roman Catholic Church is that church that had the military power and military might that uprooted three of these ten horns, the Herali in 493, the Vandals in 534, and the Ostrogoths in 538 AD. Are you, saying, are you saying that the Roman Catholic Church is the power that the Bible is describing as Antichrist? Well, please just bear with me as we look at these identifying marks. Now, you know that the Roman Catholic Church, the word Catholic means what? Universal. How many of you know, I mean, when you think about universal, what does universal mean? It means more than worldwide. What does it mean? It means containing the entire universe. And beloved, as we look at that word Catholic, and as we look at the fact that the word means universal, the principles upon which this kingdom is based began where? In the universe. Began before this earth was created. We're going to see that the principles that the Catholic Church is based upon are the principles of rebellion against the government of God. Daniel 7.25, speaking of this little horn, the Bible says he shall speak great words against the Most High. Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but the Catholic Church has a teaching called infallibility. Ever heard of that teaching? Infallibility basically says that the Pope is infallible and cannot make mistakes when he is teaching ex cathedra. Now, beloved, let me ask you, who is the only one that is infallible? Jesus Christ. But the Bible says here that this power would speak great words against the Most High. Not only infallibility, but also the power to forgive sins. Question, who only has the power to forgive sins? Jesus. But this power professes through its priests to be able to forgive sins. This power also professes to have the power to shut and open heaven. In other words, we are the ones that decide whether you what? Go to heaven or remain out. Power to excommunicate. And you know excommunication simply means that you don't, you don't have the opportunity to go to heaven. Now I'm asking, do you think that mankind has that power? No. Not at all, beloved. Not at all. But this power professes to have all these things, all these powers in its, in its capacity, and the Bible speaks nothing of God giving any of these powers to his church. Also, this power would assume God's very own title. What is God called? The Holy what? Father. Let me ask you, is any man on this earth the Holy Father? No. But does this power have a man at the head of it who they call Holy Father? Beloved, it's a blasphemous title. Daniel 7.25 tells us that he would speak great words against the Most High. Listen to this quote. The Pope is of so great dignity. And by the way, this is a Catholic source. The Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were, who? God and the vicar of God. He is likewise the divine monarch and supreme emperor and what everyone? King of kings. How many of you believe that? That's because it's a, what kind of a statement? It's a false statement. Dignity and duties of priests, volume 12, page 2. 
God himself is obliged to abide by the judgment of his priests and either not to pardon or to pardon according as they refuse or give absolution. The sentence of the priest proceeds and God what? Subscribes to it. In other words, they're saying God does what? Who says? What we say. Beloved, these are speaking great words. The Bible calls it blasphemy when we... Uh, when one thinks that he can forgive sins. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Speaking of Jesus, who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus was God and therefore he could do what? Forgive sins. But the Pope or the priests are not God and do not have the power to do what? Forgive sins. Here's another quote, Pope Leo XIII. We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. Beloved, these are some incredible, incredibly bold quotes. It goes on to say, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, who he cannot win by deception. He attempts, attempts to win by what? By force. This is a Catholic uh, rector, uh, Institute of Paris, Catholic Institute of Paris. He says here, when confronted by heresy, she, the church, does not content herself with persuasion. Arguments of an intellectual and moral order appear to her insufficient, insufficient, and she has recourse to what? Force, to corporal punishment, to torture. Public Ecclesiastes Law, Volume 2, page 142, the church may by divine right confiscate the property of heretics, imprison their persons, and condemn them to the flames. This is official Catholic writing here. This is what they did during the whole Dark Ages. They would kill people for not believing as they believed. The Bible says that this little horn, Daniel 7.25, would also, also think to change times and laws. What does it mean to change times? Right there in that same verse, the Bible says they shall be given, talking about the saints of God, would be given into his hands until a time, times, and the dividing of time. Now watch this. The Bible tells us a time is 360 days. So time, times, and the dividing of time would be 1260 days. Three and one half years. We know that in the Bible, prophecy is a day for a year, which would mean it would be 1260 what? Years. Now all the reformers saw this time period pointing to the church of Rome. They said, what other church has ruled for all these hundreds of years that is persecuting the people of God, that is speaking blasphemous words against God? They said, this is it. This is the church. Well, what happened is that at the Council of Trent, two scholars, Jesuit scholars arose, one by the name of Jesuit Ribera, the other by the name of Jesuit Alcazar. Two Jesuit priests came on the scene. One of them was the founder of the school of futurism. And what futurism taught, futurism took that 1260 years and said, hey, this is not 1260 years. These are 1260 days and they belong way down where? In the future. The Antichrist doesn't come till the very end of the world. What were they trying to do? They were trying to move the prophetic finger, which was pointing to them, move the time so that 
it could not possibly point to the church of Rome. Now they say, you know, they can tell me if you were guilty of a crime, if they know where you were at the time. Well, what the papacy tried to do was it tried to shift the very time prophecy that pointed them out. This other scholar by the name of Jesuit Alcazar said, no, 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 no. The Antichrist came way back in the past. That was Nero. And now it's over with. There's no more Antichrist to come. And both these two schools of teaching have become so popular. Most books, most teachers left behind and all these other different books that are talking about the rapture are based on this school or these schools of interpretation. Beloved, in the papacy, attempting to do what? Change times, they fulfill another identifying mark of the beast. It would also think to change what? Laws. Daniel 7.25, James Cardinal giving the faith of our fathers, page 89 says this, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we never sanctify. Again, the Catholic Mirror, September 23rd, 1893. It says the Catholic Church, by virtue of her divine mission, and what's that word right there? Change. What do the prophecies say in Daniel 7.25? He shall think to what? Change times and laws. The Catholic Church, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. Beloved, we saw that the change did not come from the scripture. Now we know where it came from. It came from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Virginia, on October 3rd, 1947, under an article called To Tell You the Truth, it says, for example, nowhere in the Bible do we find that Christ or the apostles ordered that Sabbath be changed from Saturday to Sunday. We have the commandment of God given to Moses to keep holy the what day? Sabbath day, that is the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Today, most Christians keep Sunday because it has been revealed to us by who? The Roman Catholic Church outside the Bible. Peter Kramer, Catholic Church Extension Society says this, regarding the change from the observance of the Jewish Sabbath to the Christian Sunday, I wish to draw your attention to the facts. One, the Protestants who accept the Bible as the only rule of faith and religion. How many of you in here accept the Bible as your only rule of faith and religion? Listen, listen to what it says, coming from a Catholic person. Should, by all means, go back to the observance of the what? Sabbath. The fact that they do not, but on the contrary, observe the Sunday, stultifies them in the eyes of every thinking man. Now, there's a reason why the Catholic Church says this, because the Catholic Church believes in tradition and the Word of God. Tradition is just as important, if not more important, than the Word of God. Protestants say, hey, we believe in the Bible, and the Bible what? Only. And so the Catholic says, wait a minute. If you believe in the Bible, and the Bible only, why is it that you are keeping a tradition of the Catholic Church? 
You're contradicting yourself. It is always somewhat laughable to see the Protestant churches in the pulpit and in legislation demand the observance of Sunday, of which there is how much? Nothing in their Bible. And listen to this one, beloved. I have repeatedly offered $1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I am bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is a law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says, no, by my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you. You know who that you represents? Every one of you in here. Command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in a reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. Beloved, the spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of rebellion. And listen to this. Luke 16.10 tells us, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in what? Much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. It is not the size of the rebellion. It is the what? Spirit of rebellion. People say, you mean God's just going to... God is going to punish me just because I don't? Is that the right question? God is simply looking for one thing, beloved. He's looking for the spirit of self-what? Sacrificing love. And the spirit of rebellion, be it little or big. Lucifer's rebellion was where? In his heart. He didn't let on to the angels that he was trying to do something other than what he was saying. It was a tiny rebellion. The angels couldn't even see it. And he was put out of heaven for it. Once you notice a little horn, according to Daniel chapter 8, attacks the sanctuary. It says that it waxed great, this little horn, even to the host of heaven. It cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground, that is God's people, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the who? Host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. Now we've been reading that quite often and maybe some of you have been thinking, what is the daily? What is the daily? In the Old Testament, the daily was a word that was used to describe the continual mediation of the priest in the sanctuary. He was to minister daily. There were to be sacrifices of lambs daily. There were to be burnt offerings daily. All these things symbolize the continual mediation of Jesus Christ in our behalf. Well, how does a little horn take away the daily? Mary, co-redemptress. How many of you ever heard of Mary being a co-redeemer with Jesus? This doctrine of Mary as co-redemptrix or co-redeemer takes away our soul high priest. Ministry. In other words, it says, no, Jesus is not the only one that is a high priest. He's not the only one through whom redemption is available. You can also go through who? Mary. And through this doctrine, the Antichrist takes away the daily. Not only that, mass. What is mass? It is supposedly the priest having power to call Jesus Christ down into the what? Into the bread. And it's as though he is sacrificing him again and again and again. But this takes away, beloved, Christ's one-time sacrifice, which is sufficient for how long? Forever. 
so you've got the mass. You've also got the forgiveness of sins, which takes away our dependence upon the blood of Christ. Instead of going to Christ for forgiveness, people were told to come to who? Come to the priests. By this way, the, 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 uh, the daily was taken away. And it also says the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, beloved, this is really interesting. You see there the picture of the sanctuary. And you'll notice, again, the holy place and the most holy place divided by a what? A curtain. Does that ring a bell? What can you think of in the church that is very similar to this compartment, the holy and the most holy place. Through the confessional booth, the priest sits on one side, acting as who? God, while the sinner comes in and there is a curtain or some kind of division barrier, and the person comes in and what does he do? He confesses his sins to a man. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 tells us that no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as who? God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Beloved, as we see these priests sitting in the place of God, casting down, saying, no, don't go to the heavenly temple there. Come to what? Come to our temple. Come to our confessional booth. This is where you get forgiveness of sins. You begin to see, beloved, why the Bible calls this system anti-what? Christ. Because it is the same thing that Lucifer was attempting to do in heaven. This little horn power prospered by deceit. The Bible tells us in Daniel 8, 12, and a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it, the little horn, cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. How did it practice and prosper? By casting down the what? The truth. Notice Pope Gregory the Ninth. We prohibit laymen possessing copies of the what? Old and new testament. We forbid them most severely to have the above books in the popular vernacular. The lords of the district shall carefully seek out the heretics in dwellings, hovels, forests, and even their underground retreats shall be entirely wiped out. How do they prosper? By keeping the word of God out of the hands of the people. They practice and prospered. Now I want you to notice Revelation, it should be chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. The Bible says here, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a beast, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. This is talking about the same, the Antichrist now being described in a different way. It says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Well, the question is, when did the Antichrist receive a deadly wound? Very simple, if you start from 538 AD, when the last of those little horns was uprooted, and you count 1260 years, you come to the year 1798 AD. Exactly 1260 years 
you have France sending General Berthier into Vatican City and he dethrones the Pope and the Papal States become abolished. So from 538 when they began their reign, after they got rid of those three horns and now began to reign undisputed, rulers of the world, exactly as the prophecy says, 1260 years later, the Papal States were abolished. The murder of a French man in Rome in 1798, this is from Church History, page 24, gave the French an excuse for occupying the eternal city and putting an end to the papal temporal power. The aged pontiff himself was carried off into exile to balance. The enemies of the church rejoiced. The last pope, they declared, had resigned. But the Bible goes on to say his deadly wound was healed. Beloved, in 1929, Here's what happened. There was a, a treaty between Mussolini and Gaspari that basically gave the papal states back their political statehood, gave them back political authority. Church and state had been once again what? Reunited. And here's the words that it uses, beloved. In affixing, in affixing the autographs to the memorable document, healing the wound... Extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. Do you think that's coincidence? Secular newspaper using the term healing the wound without any idea of what they're talking about. The papal church received a deadly wound in 1798, but that wound is healed. And it goes on to say, and all the world wondered after the beast. How? In popularity. How many of you realize how many dignitaries were at the Pope's funeral that just passed? Beloved, in 1965, uh, 1963 rather just shortly before that popes were not allowed on American soil did you know that? America was formed on the principle of religious liberty and because they had remembered what had happened during the dark ages they said we'll never allow a pope here that was in 1963 a couple of years back when the pope came to, to I think it was St. Louis they had rock bands and all kinds of celebrations going on in other words the the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, we are told, is going to regain the dominion that it once held over the world during the Dark Ages. And as we see what is happening, beloved, as we see the church rising in political affairs again, we might say, oh, that could never happen, not in America. Wait until our study tomorrow. Now, Revelation 13, 18. This is what so many people have heard about. The Bible says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a what? Man and his number is 666. This is a Catholic paper, our Sunday visitor. The official title of the papacy is, what everyone? Vicarious Philae Dei, or Vicar of the Son of God. This is a title that the popes used to wear in their tiaras until they discovered something about this title. You take this title and you apply Roman numerals to it because it is a Roman numeral or it is a Roman or Latin title and you come out to the number 666, Vicarius equaling 112, Philae equaling 53, and Day equaling 501. You add those together and you come out to six. 166. If you want to write that name down and go try it out for yourself, you can do it. All this says, beloved, is that God has given us 
many, many different signs to show us who the Antichrist is of Bible prophecy. Antichrist spirit produces Antichrist. You say, hey, I'm not a Catholic and so whatever, whatever. Let me say this. I'm not calling Catholics Antichrist. Do you hear me? That's not what I'm doing. I'm talking about the system. The system leads people not to Jesus, but what? Away from him while professing to lead people to Jesus. The Antichrist spirit, when I say it produces Antichrist, what I mean is when a person comes to the knowledge that the church says, don't keep the law of God, but you say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the church over listening to God, what do you become? Anti-what? Antichrist. You become against Christ because you are against his law. You become against his sanctuary because you're saying, I'm not going to go to the heavenly sanctuary. I'm going to go to the where? To the confessional booth. Not only that, but spreading Satan's lies through false teachings. By going and saying, yes, this is true. Did you know that by going and saying, yes, we ought to keep Sunday holy or yes, uh, you know, when you die, you, you go here, you go there. All these different teachings we've been learning that originate in this antichrist system. When we spread these lies, we're doing the same thing that the angels in heaven were doing for Lucifer. So that's why it's important for us to be able to understand truth and discern truth because God has given us his word and has given us the ability to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Eventually, the Antichrist is going to reside to using what? Force. I should have said resort to using force. John 16, 2. It says, they shall put you out of the synagogue. Say, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think that he is doing God what? Service. Beloved, in the last days, the, the controversy will not be between, um, you know, a red demon holding a pitchfork and people who are saying, we hate Christians against Christians. No, it will be between those who think they are serving God and those who are really what? Serving God. And that's why the controversy is going to be so incredibly deceptive, beloved. Antichrist war on earth, to sum it up, is simply to war against those who keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. That's all Antichrist wants to do. He wants to blot out all possible jurors. If he can't deceive you, what's he going to do? Persecute you. Force you. Many are deceived today. Many are following the teachings of Antichrist. The Bible says upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Mother of what? Harlots. What are harlots? Daughters. Which means, beloved, that this mother church also has daughters who are teaching, if not all the same things, some of those things. That's why the Bible calls them what? Harlots. In other words, we've got to be careful where we go because we could be actually listening to the teachings of the mother church. The whole purpose of Antichrist is to destroy the jury. Revelation 22, 14, 15 tells us, Blessed are they that do his what? Commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without our dogs... 
sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Beloved, our last text here. The Bible tells us, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my what? My people, that you be not partakers of her sins. You see that guy up there in the burning house? See him? There's a man there trying to help him. And he's saying, leave me alone. You ever heard this? I'll just throw something out there. I don't know. Born a Baptist, die a Baptist. You ever heard somebody say that? Or born a Catholic, die a Catholic. Born a Methodist, die a Methodist. But I mean, that's a very dangerous, dangerous philosophy. Because it simply reveals that I don't care what truth is. This is where I was born, and that's what I'm going to follow. And some people, rather than getting out the burning house, when God says, come out of her, my people, you may say, well, I'm not in the Catholic church, but you may be following her what? Her teachings. God says, come out of her. Come out of her teachings. Make a stand not to be deceived by the Antichrist. And when I say that, I'm talking about Satan who is behind this power. God has many wonderful, beautiful people in the Catholic Church. Amen? He has many wonderful, beautiful people who are doing things that they're not even aware of. And God winks in their time of ignorance. But when truth comes, he says, beloved, now it's time for you to make a decision. And at that point when we say, you know what? Born this way, die this way. I've seen the truth, but I can't change over. I lose too many things. I'm not willing to what? Sacrifice. That's when, beloved, you put yourself on the side of who? Antichrist. That's when the spirit of rebellion is revealed. And you make your decision and God has to do what? Make his decision. Beloved, I want to make an appeal to you tonight. To make a decision. To follow Christ. No matter how unpopular it may be. No matter how difficult it may be. No matter what the cost is. No matter what the sacrifice. God says, I want you to follow me.